0: Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, June 24th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Today we talk college sports with Kansas State beat writer, Kelis Robinette, and so much is going on, not necessarily on the field, but in conference rooms and courtrooms. A lot of changes lately. The latest coming from the Supreme Court this week, a ruling that opened the door for additional benefits that have many wondering what college sports will look like in the coming years we can only guess of course but one thing we know is kansas state will keep up that's been the mo of the athletic department no matter who's been coaching or sitting in the athletic director's seat Kellis and i break it down plus we zone in on some news from manhattan as well so let's get started Kellis Robinette is here it's been so long Kelly since we've talked it's great catching up with you
1: i know summer is here what a time to be alive
0: Summer is here, but the college sports news is not stopping, (laughs) not at a local level, and we're going to talk about things going on at Kansas State, but absolutely not at a national level, as the Supreme Court reminded us earlier this week, and what the college football playoff subcommittee also reminded us a couple of weeks ago, and is continuing to remind us as uh, as the, the new 12-team playoff format continues to work its way through um, uh, you know, layers uh, of approval. Now it's with the presidents, I believe, and it's going to happen. When once um, once it gets as far as it's gotten, this isn't you know a, a pipe dream anymore. We're going to college football is going to get a a 12-team playoff, pr- perhaps as early as 2023. So. Not this year, not for 2021 and not for 2022, but, you know, a couple years from now, I think we're going to see the 12 team playoff. And I'll, for the, for those that I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. Um, so just a quick uh, update on it. 12 teams, they're going to take the, 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 the best or the highest rated six conference champions, but no conference champions guaranteed a spot. So if, if, the Big 12 champion is overall eight and four, and Conference USA champions thirteen and zero, and that comes down to the you know the sixth or seventh best conference champion in terms of a rating. Conference USA champ would get in, so no guarantee by winning the conference, but it would be, it would be a, a very rare situation where the winners of the the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12 don't get into the college football playoff. So you get those six and then six other at-large spots and seeded one through 12 with the top four schools receiving a, a first-round bye, while the other eight, five through 12, play at campus sites. Those winners advance to meet the top four, which will be played at, uh, at bowl sites, neutral bowl sites, then we'll have national semifinals and championship game. So I guess, first of all, Carlos, when you heard about this, what was, what was your reaction to it?
1: Well, I think it was twofold. One was uh, I was surprised the momentum built that quickly toward a 12-team model. Um, we've been stuck at four, you know, for a few years now, and it was such a grind to even get it to four. I kind of assumed if, if expansion came, it would go to six, maybe eight. Um, I never really thought of 12 as a possibility, so it was surprising to me that it jumped out that quickly as, hey, this is what we're going to do. Not only are we going to expand, we're going to triple the field. Um, that part of it surprised me, but on the other end of things, I was just very happy to see it because it is long overdue. Um, as much as uh, the current bowl, uh, playoff system is better than the old BCS and bowl systems, it uh, it had gotten pretty stagnant. I mean, every year, you know, you're going to get pretty much the same four teams. And if it's not one of the, and if it's not those four, you know, you can replace Oklahoma with Michigan state. You can replace Ohio state with Georgia. You know, there's really no diversity. It's not like the NCAA basketball tournament where you have Cinderella's coming out of nowhere and and giving you some fun storylines. Um, by expanding now, I think it opens up the field for a lot more teams, especially teams like Kansas State, Iowa State, teams that aren't traditional powers that when they can put together some good seasons, which Kansas State has done in the past. I mean, if you you don't have to go back all the way to Bill Snyder's first tennis coach if you even look within the last 10 years, um, 2011, 2012, when they won the Big 12. Even a few years later, when uh, when they had Jake Waters and went to the Alamo Bowl, they'd have been on the, the extreme edge of that. They'd have been like the you know, 10, 11, or 12 seed, but they'd have been in it. And uh, I think that's a whole lot more compelling because people I, I know people around here who look back at that um, Jake Waters team, which I, which one of the better K-State teams I ever covered. They, they still had Tyler Lockett, Curry Sexton, a lot of fun to watch, through the ball over the field. A lot of people look at that and say, you know, they only won nine games, only went to an Alamo Alamo Bowl, kind of a letdown. Well, under a new system, they're a playoff team. and You're not saying that anymore. So I think that's really cool. I I think it uh, creates a lot more reasons to be interested in a season for a lot longer than we currently have.
0: You're absolutely right. I think if this was in place a year ago, Iowa State would have been in the 12-team playoff as the Big 12 runner-up. Of course, they lost to Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. And by my calculations, if you go back to the 1998 season, and I went back to that season because that was the first year of the BCS. So 97 was the final year that polls decided and determined the national champion. And of course, there was a split champion that year with Nebraska and Michigan. But 1998 and uh, first year of the BCS, of course, Kansas State fans don't need to be reminded what happened to the Wildcats in, in 1998. But... If there had been a 12-team playoff since then, that 98 Kansas State team would have been in the playoffs and would have had a first-round buy uh, because even with their loss to Texas A&M in the Big 12 title game, they would not have fallen out of the top four. They were so good and built up such a resume that year that they would, have, they would not have been outside the top four. And seven other times, uh, Kansas State would have been in the playoffs. You mentioned a few of those teams, but um, how look, those seasons were great. The, the, the years where K-State won 10, 11 games during the regular season, that, those were fun, terrific teams. People love the bowl games. I remember one year they, they whooped up on Tennessee in the cotton bowl and they just, you know, they, they had some terrific teams, but how much more fun could it or would it have been if the Wildcats were playing for the chance at a national championship? You know, some of those years, I think I counted three of those years, they would have had a first round bye. in fact, The year, and you mentioned this, the year uh, 2012, the last year that they won the the Big 12 championship, they would have been the number two seed in the field because Notre Dame was overall number one. Notre Dame, we know in this new playoff bracket, can't be a top four seed. And so they move ahead of Notre Dame automatically, and there was some other – I think the PAC 12 champion that year would have uh, would the Kansas state would have moved ahead of them because uh, what if for whatever the reason I calculated the K state, I think would have been the number two seed in 2012. So anyway, yes. Uh, I, so I, I think I kind of Missouri would have had uh, a handful of appearances. Kansas, even the Kansas Jayhawks would have gone to the playoffs one year in, in 2007. So
1: I'm pretty I'll sure. tell you the I'll tell you the year that would have been really great to have. I mentioned the Jake Waters team. How about the L. Roberson-Darren Srolls team in 2003? Um, you know, that team had, I think, was it four losses? Ended up with four losses, but they ended the season, you know, red hot, beat Oklahoma and Kansas City, won the Big 12. Um, I think I read in uh, John Weefald's book that he wrote that uh, one of Bill Snyder's all-time regrets was that he didn't get that team cooking earlier because, once once they got rolling, he really thought that was the team he, that was good enough to go on and really challenge for a national title. That team had to go on and play Ohio State in a you know in a Fiesta Bowl, cool deal, but you know ultimately meaningless exhibition game. What if there was a playoff set up then, and you got this red hot Kansas State team that just torched Oklahoma and Kansas City, and you're putting them out there and see if they can keep going. Um, I think I think that's what's cool about this whole thing, this whole new system, because teams like that we'll get a chance to uh, actually play for something after the regular season ends.
0: Absolutely. Um, you're And you're right about that O three 3 team. By the end of the year, they just destroyed top ranked Oklahoma in the, uh, in the big 12 title game at Arrowhead that year. Um, you, you know, um, and, and I also, for whatever reason, I remember that team losing to Marshall back in September. You know, they, 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 you know they, they really took them a while to get their footing, but once they did, they were they're basically unstoppable. It was a great, great, uh, Kansas State team so um, I, I want to you know share a, a sentiment that you had earlier and I think you're absolutely right that to go from 4 to 12 that that's wow I mean uh, you know I, I thoughts maybe 6 maybe 8 and to talk about doing it before the current TV contract expires uh, which is in the I think the 25-26 season so it, you know when the, when the BCS became the college football playoff, the, the the word at the time was they could not alter the contract. It had to be the two team championship game through the length of the contract. But now the college football playoff folks are saying nope, we can we can bust it up early. We can create the 12 team bracket before then. And what I think has happened here is, Colleges took a financial bath last athletic department just got crushed financially last year because of the pandemic. And college sports can't expand the way pro sports can. There's talk about expansion in the the NBA, the NHL, and college sports, you're not gonna add teams, but you can add playoff spots, right? And you can attract television audience for, you know, for an expanded playoff. And I, I think that's what we're what we're facing here, what we're looking at for for college sports as a way to regenerate revenue for, for college sports.
1: That's a great point. My, my only uh, beef with the new system is that uh, they seem so hell bent on including the bowls in them. Um, <laughs> you know, I, why, why can't we have the first two rounds of playoffs on campus sites? Uh, I, that, that would really create, if they do end up having bowls in the, you know, the round of eight, that could create some real travel headaches for teams who have to, Go to the round of eight and the semis and the, the championship. If that were to happen, I personally would prefer the the first two rounds just to be on site. That would be really
0: cool. I agree with that. I That hasn't been talked about or discussed much, but the the, the teams that are seated five through eight are going to play at home against the teams seated nine through twelve, and then those winners turn around and play the top four seeds on a neutral site. So. The top four seeds never get to play a playoff game in their home stadium, whereas seeds five through eight do get that additional ticket revenue or however that money is going to be distributed. Um, there, There's another basically home game for the teams mm-hmm. that are seated five through eight. I don't know how that's going to be handled, but, um, but yeah, if you're the top seed, if you're Alabama or Clemson or Ohio state, uh, don't you want to play your first game in, in front of your home fans? Isn't that, the advantage, in addition to having the buy, um, don't you want to uh, have a game in front of your home, in front of a hundred thousand of your home fans? So uh, we'll see. Uh, the, 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 it's still it's still in the discussion. No contracts have been signed, but but it's going to happen. Um, so there was more big news uh, in in college sports this week with the Supreme Court. Basically, as Sam Mellinger put it in his Mellinger minutes, slam dunking the NCAA with a unanimous decision, saying that the the uh, that the NCAA has. Uh, it, 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 I think it was Justice Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, who put it that um, no other industry in America operates like college sports, and the and the gist of it is the the revenues that come into the college sports. None of it go to the people who produce the revenue, and that is the student-athletes. It all goes to, well, everywhere else, but the student-athletes. And so the Supreme Court ruled this week that um, that players can be compensated for educationally educational-related um, finances, right? And I, I don't know exactly what that means. I, I guess internships or study abroad or... You know, other things that are educationally related uh, that, that athletes will now have the opportunity to get um, paid for with their, um, you know, from, from the universities. This is in addition to name, image, and likeness, which is about to start in a handful of states on July 1st. So more revenue, this, uh, this is a separate issue, name, image, and likeness, and more revenue that's coming into um, the, the pockets of student athletes, especially the football players and and men's basketball players. So, I guess to to make it a Kansas State issue, us one thing that I've noticed over the years is that Kansas State is not at the top of athletic budgets in in the Big Twelve or in or in FBS. Right? You know, it's not. It's not where Texas and Oklahoma are, and it's not the bottom. But it's it's not at the top either. But whenever there has been NCAA legislated opportunities or the uh, you know Kansas State has a a chance to improve the the life of the student athlete they've always done it um no matter who the athletic director is or the coach i've always admired Kansas State for you know we don't care what it takes we're going to do what it takes to uh, to make it work for our student athletes and i guess when you're You know, when you're a middle, I guess, middle of the road budget, athletic budget program, that's the attitude you have to take.
1: Yeah, um, but you're right. Kansas State has always been right there to compete as well as they can. I remember, uh, I don't know how long it's been now, but at one point it was a big deal when the NCAA decided that uh, schools could start feeding their athletes uh, around the clock. You know, previously they couldn't do that on weekends, couldn't feed them. Could give them snacks. I don't know why that was ever a thing that the NCAA felt like they needed to legislate how much food you could give athletes. But when they switched that up, man, they they hit that hard. Um, they built a, a brand new, basically, cafeteria right in the football stadium for all athletes to come in and, and get their food whenever they want. Um, and not only that, they put in uh, you know eating stations in the, their basketball facility, their football facility, soccer facility, you name it. Um, baseball, they've, they've got a new thing over there that's, uh, that makes that keeps them on par with everybody else. So I, I'm sure it's hard to keep up with exactly what these, these new rules are anymore. I, I don't know what it'll look like in July when all this stuff starts happening, but I, I don't think Kansas State will be left behind. I don't think it'll put them at a disadvantage. Um, if anything, it'll just give Gene Taylor a new challenge uh, to, to think up a few ways to, to provide the, the athletes with everything that they are allowed to, because I know that as much as, uh, you know, college administrators likes uh, spending money on things like, uh, you know, new facilities or whatever, the, the thing they really like to do most is improving the, the life of their student athletes, and, and that's what they'll do here, I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. Okay, Kels, let's take a break, and when we come back, there are some EMO-specific topics we need to cover. We'll be back in just a second. Hey, it's Blair. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with Calis Robinette, who covers Kansas State for McClatchy um, and the Kansas City Star, the Wichita Eagle, the... The recruiting and talent acquisition in college sports never takes a break, and <laughs> not anymore. No, not anymore. It is a year-round process, and it's especially complicated now by the, you know, the COVID year of an extra year of eligibility and free transfers. Um, Kansas State's had an interesting. Uh, bit of news recently with one particular football player, a transfer from Prairie View A&M. I want you to take us down the road of Reggie Stubblefield and <laughs> why, why this has become an,
1: an interesting story. Okay, yeah. So, so Reggie Stubblefield comes to Kansas State from Prairie View A&M, FCS school down in Texas. And um, he <laughs> he's he has created more news um, than probably any other player I can remember um, without, like, being highly ranked or playing a single game for the Wildcats. Um, he kind of he, he committed to Kansas State kind of out of the blue and caught a lot of people's attention because uh, if you go look at his Twitter profile, he uh, promotes himself as a uh, FCS All-American. He's got all these gaudy stats, a two-time all swack player. At one point, I think he said he blocked, like, eight kicks in his career. Um, well look into it a little bit. It's not hard to find out. A lot of those things aren't true. Um, I mean, he, he looks like an okay player, but, uh, he was never an FCS all American, never an all conference player. He blocked maybe two or three kicks. Definitely. He's definitely not this, uh, robot who comes out and just swats all these kicks like he proclaimed himself to be. So from, from right there, a lot of Kansas state fans were just kind of puzzled as to why, um, you know, did, did, did the coaching staff get catfished with this guy? Did they think they were bringing in this stud when they really weren't? Um, I don't think that was the case. I sh- certainly hope that they looked past all that and watched his video, talked to the coaches, and figured out, you know, w- whether we want this guy or not. Um, they they decide even after there's some backlash there. You know, we like him enough. We need an extra body in our secondary. He plays defensive back and actually is pretty versatile. He can play safety, he can play nickel, he can play corner. So that's why they want him. They need somebody who they can just plug and play next year for depth. Um, They go ahead, they sign him. They think they're going to get him on campus, but there's a snafu with grades, stuff, uh, credits transferring over here. So he puts out this big announcement that says, hey, sorry, guys, everything fell through. I'm not going to be able to play Kansas State after all. I'm going pro. So everyone says, well, okay. Um, Maybe that's a, you know, a, a dodge bullet. We'll see. But then a few weeks later, lo and behold, something something else changes and now he can enroll at Kansas State. So now he's back. Uh, but on his Twitter bio, he still lists himself as an FCS All-American. So he, he clearly does not care uh, if anyone else objects to that. It, and maybe maybe somebody gave him that honor, a media member somewhere along the line, and I just haven't yeah. found it. But uh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be very interesting to talk to him for the first time when he gets here. Um, well, he is here whenever he's made available to talk. If he is, I'll be interested to talk to him and hear his story. But bottom line, I do think that he will help Kansas State next season in the secondary, especially now that they not only added him, but they also got a defensive back from Kennesaw State named Sincere Mason. Uh, Great name, all-name candidate. Um, I don't think either of these guys will come in and start or anything, but I think what they will do is late last year when Kansas State secondary had injuries, COVID people out. That last game against Texas, they were had. I mean, they literally had their third and fourth string on the field, and Texas literally every single drive touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Is so why they scored sixty nine points in that game and had everyone just feeling miserable about the year. Um, I think adding these players will keep those guys off the field. So hopefully, you know, fingers crossed for K State fans. You don't have any near seventy point games again. Well,
0: the other thing that I found interesting and a little bit amusing about Stubblefield was when it, when he learned that he could come to Kansas state, he issued something on social media about, um, uh, you, you know, despite what all the haters say or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody was down on him. I, you know, I just, you want the best for the kid. And, uh, but anyway, he's, he's coming to Kansas state and, well, and,
1: and, and adding to the saga is that, so his na- he spells his name Stubblefield. Prairie View AM spells his name Stubblefield, but when he was at Prairie View AM, his jersey every game was spelled Stubberfield with an R. So that even added to more frustration. How in the world does this guy even spell his name? So lots of questions to be asked whenever we do get to talk to him. Well, maybe,
0: maybe Stubberfield was the FCS All America. Who knows? Well,
1: maybe that's the snafu. Maybe that's it. <laughs> All right. Hey,
0: so, and uh, speaking of transfers, Kansas State lost a running back that surprised me a little bit.
1: They did, yeah. This late in the in the game to lose a transfer, a little bit surprising, definitely. Keon Mosey, um, who I think showed a lot of promise. Um, I mean, his big play was last year he, he got in against Oklahoma, took advantage of some busted coverage, caught a 78-yard pass from Skylar Thompson. And I don't care how bad the defense screws up if you're able to catch the ball and run 78 yards downfield and do it the way he did as a true freshman playing in Chris Kleiman's system, you've got a future here. So it, it, I'm sure it's disappointing for them to lose him. Um, he's, he's a fast, talented running back. And one thing that I've picked up on from uh, Courtney Messingham's offenses, going back to his days with climate at North Dakota State, is he really loves to have four guys he can rotate through. Um, he doesn't want it to be just the Deuce Vaughn show. He wants to get Joe Irvin in there. He wants to get Jacquardier Wright in there. Ideally, he probably wanted to get Keon Mosey in there too, split him out, give him the ball. Um, keep all those guys fresh and keep defenses guessing. Without Mosey, now they lose that a little bit. I, I don't think it'll, you know, crush anything that they're trying to do next season. It was kind of hard to project exactly where Mosey would have been in the, in the pecking order, probably number four, um, maybe even number five and somebody else passed him. But just long-term, I, I think it just hurts because you saw the potential. And um, unfortunately for Kansas state, now he is at Miami of Ohio, you announced know, said yesterday that is where he's transferring. To. Okay. All right. That is where he originally committed out of uh, high school. Oh, okay, Kansas State, Kansas State flipped him, came here, played one season, decided, you know what, I'll just go back to where I originally thought of going.
0: And let's end it on this. Uh, I always enjoy reading your your Kansas State mailbags, your Q&As, and, and uh, I think you led with uh, a, a little bit of a Manhattan slight uh, recently. Um, was it uh, an ESPN story where – Basketball coaches anonymously did not say favorable things about the little apple. I was ticked off when I read it. I love the little apple. Um, and, uh, I, I guess the point was, you know, maybe it's a sort of a backhanded compliment. It, it can be difficult to recruit to Kansas state because of its location and the size of the community. And, um, uh, but anyway, it, it took a couple of swipes at, at Manhattan and, and, uh, the location, but
1: you came to the defense
0: uh, <laughs> of the Little Apple.
1: Well, the, the thing I think is funny about this whole debate is uh, college towns, I a, I don't really think there is such a thing as a bad college town.
0: I agree. Um, Absolutely
1: agree. Yeah. I, I, love, I mean, love all college towns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I've been to some I liked more than others, but I've never like been to one and just left saying like, like I I never (laughs) want to go back there again, you know, but what's funny about it is I I think uh, we all just have our own biases against college towns. They're all pretty much the same. Like if you put Manhattan, Ames, Stillwater, Lawrence, uh, you know, to get Morgantown together, um, just in in a bag and said which one's the best to a neutral observer i think i bet they'd probably all say you know what they're just about the same but if you ask a k-state grad they're going to love manhattan and hate all those other towns you go to ames ames is the best place ever manhattan sucks they're about i mean they're about the same size same communities they both revolve around a college that uh you know is in the big 12 they love their sports it's just funny to me that uh, you, when you get in these conversations, you ask a guy from from Ames. He hates Lubbock, thinks it's the worst place on earth. Complete, you know, complete one eighty. I think I think that's what's going on here. It, it doesn't. It, it really doesn't matter what another coach who only spends you know twelve hours here a, a year has to say about Manhattan. If a uh, you know if the number one recruit in the country came out and said, uh, "Boy, I really love keep the State, but that town, Manhattan. Ooh. <laughs> right. If only it we're a little bit better." You know, maybe then you start scratching your scratching your head and saying, "Okay, we might have an issue here." But uh, I, I I don't think Manhattan, in the state, runs into recruiting problems. I really don't think Manhattan is the problem. Um, I, I honestly think the the town is a really uh, big selling point for them because when you do get players here, they they feel the they feel the community love. They can tell it's the center of the town, and there's a lot more here than you you think coming in. It, I, I think it's hard to uh, you know, if, if a recruiters going out on visit, they want to be overwhelmed. They want to be uh, they want their trip to exceed expectations. And I think that usually happens here. You are probably not coming in thinking this is gonna be New Orleans or New York or something, expecting all this wild stuff. But then when you get here, you see, see its charm and you like it. And also it's got and it's got a really good airport. It flies to Dallas and sh- in Chicago daily. So it makes it feel like it's easy to get to. Now, like 15 years ago, when they were shuttling recruits around the clock from Kansas City, you had to drive two hours here, you had to drive two hours back. I bet that was a real pain in the butt. Um, I'm not sure how they convinced some recruits that that uh, wasn't an issue. That would, If I was coming in back in those days, and yeah, you had to add four hours onto your trip just to get here, that would, that is one thing that would make me say, hey, this might be an issue. But now that you can fly right in... It's just the same, I mean, it's just as easy to get to as Austin, just as easy to get to as, as Dallas, any of these places, really. So I don't think that's that's an issue. And the funny thing about all this is it was raised by uh, basketball coaches. And basketball is the one area where Kansas State really has never struggled to recruit good players, right? I mean, Michael Beasley came here. Bill Walker came here. Jacob yeah. Bullen came here. Dean Wade, four-star, came here. I think I counted it up. It was They've had three five-star guys, and it was double-digit four-star guys going back just 15 years so i don't really know what what the slide is it seems like recruiting's going just fine
0: yeah and, and, and stories like that are just attention getters they don't they don't really they don't advance the the change any but they do allow us to talk about it which i guess is the <laughs> yeah. purpose of the well it's,
1: it's it's i mean it's a typical summer story right
0: yep it comes you know.
1: out in october no one even notices but now it's ah, oh, let's all get angry <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right and don't underestimate the importance of the airport. That is, that's huge, and it's a, you know, it's that to me helps make Manhattan different than some of the other college towns that you mentioned just a little while ago. So that is a big factor for for Manhattan when they got the airport and got the uh, the commercial airlines to come into uh, into the little apple. Okay, Kellis, great conversation, and uh, let's do it again soon. All right, anytime, Blair. That will do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. Big thanks to Kalis Robinette for stopping by and talking college sports and Kansas State. Links to his stories can be found in the show notes and on kansascity.com. Hey, we have another deal for you. You can subscribe to SportsPass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. Sports Pass is the online version of the Star Sports section. You get all the stories that appear in the print editions of the Star, plus additional stories that appear only on the website. And of course, they appear first on KansasCity.com. After three months, it auto renews at $5.99 a month, unless you cancel. How do you get it? You go to KansasCity.com slash Sports 2020. That's KansasCity.com slash 2020. You want more than just sports coverage? check out the entire Kansas City Star product: sports, news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional national news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And if you're having trouble hunting down any of the offers, you send me an email, bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. So Whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting in supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Friday with another episode.